Hi, this is Paul. It's time to talk about the Jordan Peterson Sam Harris video. Now, it amazes me that every time I talk about Sam Harris, some people get really defensive for Sam Harris on his behalf. So I understand that there are Sam Harris fans out there, or people that think that I'm nice to everybody in the world but Sam Harris. There are other people that think I'm way too generous towards Sam Harris. There are other people that think uh, what I say about Jan Sam Harris is well-deserved. So on this video, I'm going to try and tell you and show you exactly why I think what I think about Sam Harris. Now, this is uh, one, two, three, four, public to audio podcast, and then another one. So I think, I think this is the seventh Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris. He might have been again on Sam Harris's podcast. I don't know. You can correct me in the comment section, but... Jordan and Sam have talked a fair amount. They don't necessarily talk regularly, but their relationship is interesting. While Sam Harris and Brett Weinstein have had a major falling out over COVID, apparently, uh, Jordan has managed to keep his relationship with Sam Harris to the point that they'll still have a large conversation. What's interesting about this is, well, one of the interesting things, there are many interesting things, one of the interesting things is about Peterson's demeanor when he talks to Sam Harris. I'm trying to figure out what's behind that. Now, I, I don't know. Obviously, I can't read his mind. And I'm sure part of what Jordan is doing is intentional and unintentional. I've watched a lot of Jordan Peterson videos, and he has very different styles of conversation with different people. And, of course, I can and you can speculate what's behind that. His conversation with Louise Perry was remarkably bad because Jordan just basically talked too much. I thought his conversation with Dr. Sarah Hill was absolutely outstanding. It was back and forth. It was give and take. As some people on Twitter don't like her voice, which was interesting. Uh, Chad said he didn't like her voice over on the Hive Mind and Grim Grizz's channel right now. I didn't find her voice annoying at all. It's very interesting. And it was a woman on Twitter that made the comment about her voice too. So it's... It's just fascinating watching these things develop. Anyway, I thought I I absolutely loved her conversation with Peterson. I, I had skipped that one entirely and someone had said, oh, there's a bunch of stuff in there you should watch. And so I went back and watched it. And right from the st start, I thought there's so much interesting stuff and you might hear more about that conversation. But that's, to me, that sort of peak Jordan Peterson investigating his... And so it's a fellow psychologist, so they're talking research. And I think with this conversation, you can kind of get a sense of what Jordan Peterson probably was like with grad students and with other colleagues. And and you can see him, his conversation with John Vervecki right after Jordan came back into public life. That was strange. And I don't think Jordan was quite stable yet at that point. It was a bizarre conversation. Anyway, I thought his conversation with Sarah Hill was absolutely outstanding. Uh, Jordan, I thought, played it well. They played back and forth. But how he is with Sam is so interesting. And, and I sort of see Jordan in some ways as studying Sam. Now, of course, I think this area of conversation with Sam is one of the most meaningful for Jordan because it has everything to do with the book that he's writing and coming out with. 
Jordan made a comment on a recent video, I think it was with um, Chris Williamson, where he said basically all the other guys at Daily Wire, they, they sort of have to do political red meat for their day job, but they what they really want to talk about is metaphysics. And, and I think that's true. I think when it gets right down to it, people who think deeply about the world want to talk about those kinds of things. Uh-oh, I've got, I've got to fix something. And so I think Jordan really wants to, I, I, I think Jordan is in hunter mode here because he is very carefully studying Sam, I think basically to exercise him. Now, before I've said that Jordan Peterson, one of my best little names to understand Jordan Peterson, he's the, he's the unauthorized, exodus, unauthorized exorcist from the Gospel of Mark. And there's this passage in the Gospel of Mark where someone else is exercising people in Jesus' name, but he's not one of Jesus' disciples. So the disciples say, hey, why don't we make him stop? And Jesus says, leave him alone. And that's what I see Jordan is doing on the, on the stage broadly. And so his first conversations with Jordan Peterson, if you go back and watch his conversation with Matt Dillahunty, Matt Dillahunty apparently was like in the same, maybe in Toronto with Jordan. And so... I think just quickly decided to get on stage. I think Jordan thought that he could sort of breeze up on stage and totally own and dunk on Matt Dillahunty. And while I think Jordan definitely uh, performed well in that conversation, I think it was a bit of a wake-up call about the fact that his powers of exorcism are mediated by YouTube and tend to not not all spirits are alike in terms of in terms of casting them out and so i think he's studying sam harris and i think he has good reason to study sam harris so in that tweet that i sent out yesterday sam harris in many ways articulates and instantiates a certain spirit that is very dominant in our culture. Now, we have to get into, and what I really want to look at is how Sam Harris, Sam Harris's moral universe, because he actually talks about that quite a bit in this video, and there's quite a bit in the Daily Wire section. And I know Nate, every time I say this, Nate is like, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not subscribing to Daily Wire no matter what. Well, that's fine. Well, I can't show you video from behind the Daily Wire paywall, but I can talk about it, and I will talk about it. Because a lot of the stuff that they get into is behind that paywall. But it's not necessarily stuff you can't find Sam Harris saying in other places. And so as sort of a proxy, I'm going to use the trigonometry conversation with Sam Harris and Eric Weinstein because Sam basically says many of the similar things there. But my main point is not so much what Sam Harris thinks of Donald Trump or Hamas or, or Islamism or anything like that. It's Sam Harris's worldview, because I tend to find his worldview, and I think Peterson does too. Peterson's just stalking him carefully. And Peterson talked about this before. He said, you know, before I was just sort of in his normal mode like he was with Sarah Hill, just kind of going back and forth, exploring, you know, very easy, very natural for him. But he's realized that with Sam Harris, he's probably never going to get anywhere with Sam Harris. And that's not really Jordan's fault. 
what every time I listen to Jordan talk with Sam Harris, I come away with the fact that Sam Harris doesn't listen. He might not understand, but he certainly doesn't listen. He doesn't care to listen. The prime example of that was the first onstage conversation between Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris. Unlike the conversation with Sarah Hill, where they're going back and forth and they're learning from each other and they're testing each other, Sam Harris just sticks to his speeches. I mean, what, what's so funny is that if there's a dogmatist around, it's Sam Harris. He is, he is as dogmatic as I've seen in any religious camp. He is just that way. So let's, now, it's interesting because this conversation sorts, sort of opens with Sam Harris bragging about the fact that he's off of Twitter and he's off of social media and he's having an absolutely lovely life, um, not engaging with any of his critics and just engaging with his the walled garden of his fans and every now and then popping out to be an activist about his worldview. Now, I'm not going to get into it. At least I don't plan on getting into the whole free will thing. And at the end of the video, Jordan says, I'd like to talk to you more about that free will thing because Sam Harris and Brett Weinstein did a long video about the free will thing. And, and Brett Weinstein tried every trick in the book to try and move Sam. But again, I don't think Sam listens. For all of the new atheist line about being open and able to change and not having dogma, Sam is about as stuck in the mud as anybody as I've ever seen. He just is. He is not going to change. He just runs through his set speeches. And again, I see this all the time with religious people. I see it with preachers especially. They just sit there. And what's interesting is that I better understand it with clergy because they are deeply embedded within religious structures that are designed sort of to contain them. Sam could change his mind. He might take some hits reputationally, but people always sort of evolve. And But not Sam. Sam is just going to double down and stay there. So they start talking about Twitter. And this was very interesting because Sam sort of goes after Elon Musk and He's, he's changed his mind. Well, there's, there's an example of where he's changed his mind. Let's be fair. He's changed his mind on Elon Musk and doesn't say very kind things about Elon Musk. And Jordan's kind of an Elon fan. So, and I think Jordan also doesn't want to burn any bridges with Elon. I had to redo some camera things. Doesn't want to burn any bridges with Elon. And so Jordan is careful. So Sam's talking about Twitter and Elon. And then I'm, I'm just... The other interesting thing about this, again, is Jordan just lets Sam talk. Jordan very seldom interrupts Sam with a question. Again, that's very different from Jordan's normal conversation style. Jordan is not um, reticent to, in, to interrupt someone unless, sometimes I wonder if it's a status differential. If Jordan finally got Elon on his channel, I think he would let Elon talk. But Elon's talking style is a little bit different, too. So... Like with, with Sarah Hill, it's Jordan the colleague or Jordan with a graduate student or something like that. With Sam, it's Sam is so, sort of a someone Jordan is studying or either that or also sometimes sort of therapist mode. So this is how and, and actually when it comes to Twitter, some of you will roll your eyes because Jordan very famously has acted in certain ways on Twitter. 
he has really settled down on Twitter since sort of the last big blow up. And I think he and that that's reflected in what he says here. Yeah, well, it's definitely the case that one of the cardinal dangers of Twitter is its propensity to bring out the worst in people and and the worst in the culture. I mean, I guess it's an open question whether or not Musk's takeover of Twitter will result in the dramatic improvements to the platform that might justify the risk inherent in engaging with it. So let's leave yeah. that a bit, Sam. Sure. I, I, yeah. I want to... I wanna... And they don't come back to it. And, and okay, hey, fair enough, Sam Harris um, conceded here and agreed to move on, but they're going to get into the question of evil, which is a super important uh, subject in this. To turn my attention, our attention, if you don't mind, to some of the deeper issues that you and I have discussed. And I have a bunch of questions for you. So the first thing I want to do is clarify something. My recollection of particularly our last conversation, and it was one that I found clarified my understanding of your thought to a greater degree than our previous conversations I had, we had, probably because I listened to you more, was that, and so correct. See, and, and again, Jordan consciously, he's mentioned that on a number of other occasions, he's consciously pivoted with how he treats Sam Harris, which is very interesting. And I think, again, he is he is looking to exercise this spirit from the culture. That's a big part of his main issue, and I think it's a big focus, especially with this last book that he's been writing. Correct me if I get this wrong, because I want to use it as a platform to ask you some other questions. My understanding after that conversation was that you were driven to search for a an objective foundation for moral claims, primarily because you had... Okay, now, on our Friday live stream last week, when Larry Chap said objective, Father Eric said, someone should warn him that that word's not in vogue for many of us in this little corner. What does Jordan mean and what is Sam looking for? This is the holy grail of trying to have morality work like chemistry. Trying to discover a way that, just like we can say, you can, uh, water is H2O and you can break up water with electrolysis, we want morality to be the same thing. Now, many people, including myself, believe this is a fool's errand. The desire to do this is a consequence of a materialist, a reductive materialist, we can throw that word in front of it, a, a reductive materialist worldview. This is the desire to do this, that, okay, if we can say something is objectively good or bad, then, well, then what? Well, then because people are rational, they'll have to behave. In other words, this whole thing is a mechanism of trying to do what most people want to do, which is to control other people's thoughts and behaviors. That's what this whole project is about. Now, as a pastor, I see that's what people really want to do. Often it is the case that when people come to me as a pastor, and I'm sure psychologists get the same thing, 
politicians definitely get the same thing through different mechanisms, but the goal is so-and-so in my life is behaving in a way that I don't like and I don't want, and it may be destructive or counterproductive or maybe evil, whatever, and I want them to stop, and I want you to help me make them stop. Or I want you to tell me how I can make them stop. But again, back to that wonderful conversation with Ian McGilchrist and John Verveke and Daniel Smachtenberg with the master and his emissary, that's an emissary approach to the master's dilemma. Because the emissary wants to secure, control, arrange outcomes. The master has a different strategy, okay? And the master understands if he controls the emissary with emissary powers, the masterhood, the mastership, the quality of the master that keeps the master the master is in many ways lost, okay? So that's this goal of finding objective morality. And it's, it's couched in all sorts of language that we use in our culture. You hear it all the time when people, they're in a conflict with someone and they say, I don't understand how you, no, 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 no. That's, that's just rhetoric. You understand perfectly how they such and such. You don't like it. You don't want to say, I don't like it and I'm going to do what I can to stop you. Because that then sounds very controlling. And we have this deep libertarian strain in our culture that says, well, we don't want to control other people. Everybody is good. And what we want, let's say expressive individualism, authenticity, we want people to, they're really good down deep inside. And so what we really have to do is just encourage them to let it out. And then you have all of the mania about phobias. You know, it's homophobia and transphobic and... You know, all of this language, which basically says, oh, it's only fear of the unknown that has us act badly towards others. That's like, that's hardly the case. Is And this is, in many ways, where Sam Harris sort of comes into the picture, because many would charge Sam Harris with Islamophobia, and Sam Harris would say, no, I'm not afraid of them. I think they need to be controlled and shown their way. But here's the question. Is evil a product of ignorance or is evil malevolence? Is evil fundamentally a misunderstanding? Does everybody have good intentions at heart? Now, now this isn't a binary question because, number one, we don't really know, and Sam Harris, in terms of his worldview, he, he understands this completely, whatever motivations we imagine we have, that may very well be part of our motivational structure, unless you believe that all of that, all of those kinds of ideas that we have is just sort of the chattering rider and the elephant, the elephant is a mystery in a black box to us. But people have mixed motivations and everybody wants what's good. No, not really. In the words of the Joker, sometimes people just want to see the world burn. There is envy. There is revenge. People have dark reasons. There is hatred. These things are real in us. Now, people may hate because they believe that 
this group as a threat, so that's more of a phobic thing. Or they may hate because they believe that this is evil and ought to be eradicated. And Sam Harris believes that certain things must be eradicated. Okay, let's listen to some of this and let's probably jump to the trigonometry video. Had become convinced of the existence of, for lack of a better term, of evil in the world. And we're looking for a for solid ground to stand on in your attempts to both understand and combat the most malevolent proclivities of the most malevolent proclivities. We could leave it at that. Now is that is that a reasonable is that a reasonable conclusion? Have I got that right? Yeah, and I think my motive is will be pretty familiar to you. I, I, this came largely out of the collisions I was having with uh, people after I wrote my first two books, uh, The End of Faith and Letter to a Christian Nation, where I was noticing you know, disproportionately on the left, uh, specifically, I mean, we've come full circle now to this moment, you know, in the news cycle, uh, but, um, you know, mostly in response to my criticism of, of Islamic extremism, and uh, you know the, the kind of the urgency with which I was I was saying that the Islamic doctrines of martyrdom and jihad are you know are sincerely believed by millions of people, and these beliefs have real consequences in the world, and they're not good ones, right? And and we should we should talk about. Okay, so martyrdom and jihad. Now, part of the reason that I have in some of my recent videos talked a bit about Islam is because it's unavoidable. It's also the case that I'm reticent to either take sort of a Houston Smith approach to a religion, which is, why, who's Houston Smith? He wrote, a, he wrote a book that had been used as a textbook in many universities, The World's Religion. And it's a nice, it's a nice guide to sort of walking through the propositional elements and differences between religions. That propositional layer is important. But part of what you have to deal with when you deal with something like a religion is that religions are not just propositional bags. They're, they're, there's, there's the perspectival, the participatory. Um, there's all of the there's all of the P's involved where there's culture involved and human psychology is involved. Temperament is involved along the population. There are combinatorial explosively, there are more variables, variables than someone can count. So despite the fact that, let's say, a, a Christian believes, a Christian, Christians follow a master who died on the cross for his enemies, which should get, give Christians tremendous power for generosity and forgiveness of enemies, you can find Muslims, atheists, people from all religious backgrounds who might outperform on that aspect other people who are Christians. This is just normal. And this is why you can find uh, evil people and you can find good people along certain axes across religious spectrums and irreligious religious, religious spectrum. Let me just say all of that out front so that we're not dealing with all of these straw men. So Sam says, well, this martyrdom and jihadism is a bad combination. Well, of course, if you're thinking about 9-11, although 
what soldier who, let's say, is battling Islamism and dies for his country isn't, in that sense, to some degree participating in some kind of martyrdom. And they are also participating in some kind of struggle. So Sam has a very particular thing in mind that wishes to even even the it, it would be it would be a, a convenient reduction to say that all Islamists are on the same page. They are not. They might be some overlapping areas of agreement between them, but generally speaking, most of these groups can't agree and can't get along with each other. And as Sam Tiedemann mentioned in a recent live stream that we did, maybe it wasn't Sam, I don't know, but if you sort of remove the United States and the Western baddies, these countries would viciously fight amongst themselves. You know, there's a reason Saudi Arabia keeps buying immense amount of U.S. military firepower, and it's not to protect it from the United States. It's to protect it from Iran. So the, the Shia-Sunni division in Islam, many other divisions in Islam, they are by no means on the same page. So, okay, fair enough. Let's, let's talk about, let's use global sense of Islamism and jihadism and martyrdom that in in many cases this is these are producing and I won't disagree with that these are producing evil events around the world and evil people are participating in it. we're gonna have to talk about what on earth we mean by evil people because when it comes to Sam and these ideas his ideas with respect to what evil is are both significant and tremendously inconsistent in terms of his worldview. But that honestly, what I was getting mostly from the left was, um, you know, what, what struck me as pure masochistic delusion, but it was on its own side a very sophisticated philosophy of, you know, postmodernist truth claims about the the relativity of everything, and which which. You know, in the minds of its adherents, left us with no solid ground to stand on ever when making claims about right and wrong and good and evil. Uh, so, you know, I, I mean, the, the point. Okay, that's now you, the picture sort of comes together. What he wants, and he's about to tell a story about someone in the Obama administration, they're all reacting to Islamophobia. He's looking for solid ground. He's looking for an argument. And he's also basically looking to make sure that the people in power in the United States don't somehow cave, in his opinion, to some airy-fairy postmodern image about, oh, evil, bad Westerners and, you know, everyone else in the world who is not from the West or not white or not from a Christian nation or anything like this. These are all sort of um, well-meaning, innocent, naive tribal or, you know, tribes. And, you know, it's basically, and I, I don't disagree with him at all on this point, that you have this strange narrative going through where you have, you know, trans activists in favor of Hamas. And this point has been made by many people that if these, um, if these LGBTQ individuals would go live at Gaza, in Gaza they would throw them off the buildings. So, okay, there's this crazy business going on in our country with respect to this this strange thing, and they and people want to people want to appear as 
tremendously generous and well-meaning and sophisticating and sort of talking that sort of Islamophobia line gives you higher status. We saw this in the George W. Bush administration during 9-11 to a degree. Now, you might also say that it wasn't just, let's say, dread postmodernism that was, that was impacting that, but it was also a little bit of realpolitik that they are saying we need the help from other Islamic countries to fight this enemy. And this is something that you see continually and have seen continually throughout the history, throughout the history of the world. You, you see it during even the Protestant Catholic Wars in Europe, the Thirty Years' War, you'd, you'd, have, you'd have coalitions between Protestants and Catholics to fight other Protestants and Catholics. And you've seen this throughout history. You saw this in World War I, where there, there, were quite a bit of, there was quite a bit of religious valence between the countries, but you know, they, would, you know, they would still fight. And you have this today in the Islamic world, where generally speaking, there is, for the most part, kind of an alliance that has built up where Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, they're, they're always trying to get all these other Islamic states on the same page so that, let's say, Iran can be resisted and Hamas and Hezbollah can be resisted and uh, the Taliban can be resisted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So not all of this talk is just sort of postmodern naivete. Some of this talk is realpolitik because they're trying to keep Arab allies on board. Now, Jordan is going to let Sam talk a lot in this video, and Sam is going to talk on and on and on and on. And as with a lot of Sam Harris speeches, and probably true of my own speeches, those of us who like to talk a long time, you got the point right away. So you don't have to actually listen to the whole speech. So this is basically the heart of this speech that he's giving right here. So we'll skip a little bit just for time's sake and pick it up. You have many well-educated people who uh, will make very fine-grained distinctions about uh, moral norms in the context of you know living in, you know in 21st century America. You know they'll they'll consider words to be violence and you know the, the, the misgendering of people to be a, a profound microaggression. Uh, you know, Halloween costumes that culturally appropriate, et cetera, et cetera, are, are anathema. This is this is how finely calibrated their moral scruples are over here, you know, in the quad of an American uh, university. But you ask them to consider whether, you know, someone like Malala Yousafzai was badly treated by the Taliban and they become tongue-tied. Right. They, 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 and they will even say things like, well, who are we to right, right. criticize okay, so, an ancient okay, culture? So, that, so anyway, so that motivated me to say, all right, the smartest, most... Notice how quickly Peterson backs off there. And again, I don't have any argument with what Sam Harris is, the argument that he's making here, and many of them it made us. Now, in terms of where this places Sam Harris on sort of the political map is interesting because he is sort of classic IDW in that like Brett Weinstein, I mean, the, the fallout between him and Brett Weinstein is super interesting for this reason, just in terms of what that means psychologically about the both of them. I think I think Brett would be very willing to sit down and have a conversation with him, but Sam won't. <laughs> Sam has his fortress of solitude of audience capture, <laughs> and that's where he wants to stay. I'm not going to any stinking Dark Horse podcast and have to 
deal with Brett. Well, maybe his wife is nice, but so anyway, so so Sam has very particular ideas, and again, he is so his his patterns of behavior so much remind me of the kinds of religious people he hates. He's so much like them, you know, far more than than Brett Weinstein ever is. So. Okay, all of this stuff. And, and where does he fit? Well, he can't fit with the Republicans because he absolutely hates Trump. He's not really a never-Trumper. He would He's sort of like on the page with Bill Maher, let's say, where he's, he's kind of an exile. He doesn't really fit in any party because he's definitely against the wokeism. Well-educated people in our society have become unmoored to any vision of... Um, objective moral values right they have okay so if we could discover this 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 morality widget and this morality widget this morality philosopher stone could could show people that hamas is really evil and and the taliban is really evil and these terrorists are really evil See, this is also where this whole objective thing sort of breaks down because, okay, well, you're probably, I mean, some people politically, they're not saying those things because how people respond has a lot to do with people sort of calibrating the room. And they'll say things in some rooms and not in other rooms. And so you're never going to get there. But again, the, the main goal, as I said earlier, is I, I want to have this objective thing that I can, that basically you can bully people with. Water is H2O, so therefore, kill them, kill them all. And you might think I'm exaggerating here, but you really got to watch that trigonometry piece with, with Sam Harris and Eric Weinstein. Or worse. What does that mean? Right? I don't want a million children in Gaza to die and be burnt in yeah. bomb shelters like the Germans. I don't want that. And I wouldn't defend our our um, aerial bombing of of German cities and and you know our dropping of the bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Now again, what about this dream of this objective philosopher's stone that we can sort of nicely divide good, bad, right, and wrong and get it all straight? Well, yeah, not going to do that with World War Two. I mean, I, I think there there was a calculation that. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm, I don't consider myself an expert on recent scholarship on this. I, mean, I know that um, about 20 years ago, A.C. Grayling, the British philosopher, wrote a, a book about the um, specific... I really don't like speeding up these videos, but he takes so long. Specifically, the, the, our bomb, the Allied bombing of German cities, and concluded that it really was ethically unjustifiable, right? That it's just, it, we, we told ourselves a story about how this... It was necessary to win the war, and it was not a compelling, compelling story even at the time. Uh, I'm not so sure what analysis is true there, but um, what I think, I think Israel is held to a higher standard than certainly we were 70 years ago, and even than, than we, you know, the, the British and the, and, the, and the Americans are now. Um, I think they should hold themselves to the highest possible standard. I mean, they, they certainly should be alert to the difference between committing war crimes and following the, the international law that governs how you wage war. 
Um, I, you know, I think they should be uh, as reluctant as they can practically be to, to, to kill innocent people. And um, now, now, again, when I listened to the first time, this is kind of like, this is, this is stuff everyone says. Knowing that it's impossible not to kill some innocent people when you're, when you're trying to fight militants in a crowded city, right? As especially when those militants based on their own completely deranged moral worldview, are committed to using their own people as human shields, right? I mean, that, that disparity is, um, as far as the, the moral you know, algebra that, that can give you insight into the difference between the two sides, that disparity says everything to me. It's like, I, you know, this is something I recently said on my own podcast, but if you just imagine the Israelis attempting to use their own non-combatants as human shields, Right, in any conflict against jihadists. You know, let's say Hezbollah comes across the northern border and the Israelis line up with their own women and kids, you know, putting the barrels of, of their weapons on, their, on the shoulders of their children, thinking that Hezbollah is going to be reluctant to shoot through the bodies of their children to kill IDF soldiers. I mean, it is a completely surreal, you know, Monty Python sketch where all the Jews die. It is not... It, it, it is laughable, it is unthinkable. It's unthinkable at every level of it. It's unthinkable that the, that the Jews would treat their own children and, and, and non-combatants that way, given what they believe about everything. And it's unthinkable that they would think that their enemies would be deterred by that behavior, right? But when you reverse it, as it is the case in, in the real world, we have had to, we, we Westerners and the Israelis have had to confront this behavior on multiple fronts in every conflict against jihadists. They routinely use non-combatants as human shields and, and Hamas is doing that now. Um, I think Israel has to figure out how to navigate around that and eradicate jihadists, you know, eradicate Hamas. I mean, we're, we're confounded to some degree by our, our terminology here. We're, we keep talking about terrorists, and we, we, we had a war on terror for, you know, the, a quarter of a century now. Okay, now we're going to start getting into it because, okay, well, well, well we, we don't want them to kill innocents. Okay, well, who, who there is innocent? And, and Eric is really going to engage him on this. Um, terrorism is a tactic. Terrorism is not the thing we're fighting. We are fighting jihad. And um, what's the difference, Sam? Explain to people what the difference. Well, is. jihadism, jihadism is the the um, the radical core of Islam. It is this it is this principle of holy war that can be justified in various contexts. Yes, there are many, many millions of Muslims, thankfully, who just who would, who would justify it in in ways that we would recognize as something we could live with, right? So a, a defensive war, right? A just war, you know, just war theory. Okay, great. There are other Muslims who say, no, 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 you don't understand. Jihad is just an inner spiritual struggle. Okay, great. But historically and practically now, jihad has all, a component of jihad has always been you, you convert, subjugate, kill the infidel. Right, it's like the, the, the Islam. Islam is a religion of conquest. It views itself as a religion of conquest. It it expects to win these 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 contests for believers at the you know at the end of time, and it has an expl explicitly 
uh, martial ethic, which is uh, we have to win through force, right? And we're happy to die trying. All the, however long we fail, we're ultimately going to su succeed, but we're happy to throw our, our bodies and the bodies of our children into this because this life is a total illusion. It is, has absolutely no value. This is just a, a anteroom on the, on the thresholds of either heaven or hell. Now, it's really important here to sort of pause and think, okay, what are you trying to fight? Are you trying to fight an idea? And it's interesting, he talks about this life is an illusion. I thought, wait a minute. Sam likes to talk a lot about illusions and about this life being an illusion, but so, so I actually don't think the Muslims believe that this life is an illusion to the degree that Sam would say this life is an illusion. I think probably the epistemic philosophy of many in the Islamic world is much more straightforward than sort of this... this Kogsai Buddhist mixture that Sam usually brings out, which again is is a really funny contrast when you when you sit and remember a lot of what he says, and then you listen to the words coming out of his mouth. He says, and it's like, what exactly here? But but okay, so this is his shtick about religious people believe. Um, irrational things. It, all these ancient stories, and these ancient stories make these people into killers. So, well, then I guess you try to be gain status and tell everyone that these ancient stories, or at least maybe start with the ancient story believing people who live near you who are the Christians, but when you really what wanted to do was get at the Muslims because the Muslims were driving planes into buildings. And of course, now after the fight with wokeism, you can look back to Peter Boghossian and his substitution thesis. And a lot of the new atheists sort of on the non-woke side have gone to war against wokeism and said, eh, the Christians are probably our friends and we should lean on them. But anyway, and of course this video, Sam Harris, doesn't use the coaster. Isn't there an objective moral argument to use the coaster, Sam? Sam! And the only thing that matters is where you go after you die, right? And only the true believers uh, go, go to paradise. And um, if you kill them inadvertently, if you blow up a crowd of, ki of, of Muslim kids in an attempt to kill some soldiers that are handing out candy to them, as happened in our conflict in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, there's, there's no factor. The kids, the, the, the good Muslims, the, the real Muslims are going to paradise. They're going to thank you, right? No problem. Um, and the bad Muslims, the fake Muslims, the, the, the infidels, the, the, the uh, idolaters, they're going to go to hell sooner, and that's good. That's an intrinsic good. That's exactly what the creator of the universe wants. Um, there, it's impossible to make a moral error when you're a jihadist, right? If you die, it's good. If your family dies, it's good. Now, if you watch Eric Weinstein during this, he's just pained. He's just pained. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, Sam. Let's let's you know. Keep going. We'll wait till you take a breath. It's good. If the infidel dies, it's good. This is a death cult, and we have been lying to ourselves. You know, in the secular West, 
that's there's some other logic, some other variable that explains this behavior. It's economics, it's politics. These are my, the, the, the assumption is that when you see people behaving... And the point he makes right there is, again, it just shows that for him, and this is what gives his point power, it's reductive. It's not economics. It's none of those other multifacets. It's just this death cult called Islam. That's what it is. So if you can get rid of that, everything else will sort itself out. And Eric just sits here just in pain. In, in this extraordinarily destructive and you know, psychopathic way, they must have been pushed there by some awful treatment that would explain it. Right, this must be ordinary human rational behavior in extremis, right? These people have been so tortured by the occupation, by the, the apartheid state of, of Israel, by the open air prison of Gaza. I mean, these, these phrases that are now you know, used reflexively in the media. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying life in Gaza isn't horrible. I'm not saying it's not intolerable. We can talk about that. But there's a layer of this phenomenon and of this behavior that we've been living with uh, you know, most clearly since September 11, 2001, but it obviously precedes that, which is explained only by the religious ideology, right? When people are doing the unthinkable, uh, again, you can find so many cases where they're doing it without grievance, right? Where somebody drops out of the London School of Economics to go join the Islamic State for the pleasure of killing Yazidis and, you know, raping their women, right? I mean, it's just... This is, and this is what was happening, you know, ad nauseum, right, you had, from 100 countries. Right? So this is, so what we saw Hamas do in Israel last week is a subset, it's just another example of that same behavior. Yes, it has this local, political, nationalistic uh, struggle over territory context, yeah, but that's not the thing that explains the behavior. Um, and we have to get our heads around that. We, have, we again, I'm not talking about, I'm not even talking about non-Muslims, I'm talking about you know, all moderate Muslims, de desperately. The world waits in desperation for moderate Muslims to get their heads around the problem of jihad. And Eric, would you agree with Sam's assessment of the situation? I disagree, first of all, with Constantine before I even get to, <laughs> to Sam. Excellent. So, you know, you phrase this immediately as what's going on in Israel and Palestine. From the perspective of Hamas, what do you mean? It's all happening in Palestine, right? So the idea is that there's a, a European occupier sitting in Palestine. You have an open-air prison. People are oppressed. It's completely unlivable. Um, and um, resistance was taken against the European oppressor uh, in Palestine. So I don't know what you're talking about. So that perspective, for example, um, has to do with the language. So as soon as the frame is in place, I can tell you what the argument is. You know, it's, it's like looking at different opening tic-tac-toe moves. Uh, I've got all the games memorized, and so I, I just don't want to even participate as soon as I hear that um, because of these different mindsets. Now, to Sam's point, uh, I had a big disagreement in some sense with the way in which the new atheists took on the problem um, of jihad, and that is because it comes out of totalizing. Totalizing ideologies are really the problem. Um, there's a North Korean 
totalizing ideology. There's a, a jihadi totalizing ideology. S sorry to interrupt. Just for clarity, for these people who might not know, what does totalizing ideology mean? Eric? Well, what I mean in this case is, is that there's an entire worldview which solves and addresses all of your issues. Um, how should we structure a family? What is the purpose of life? Uh, what risks may be uh, assumed? What, what, when, when may one kill? You have an entire worldview that is effectively incompatible with the outside world. All, all notions of tolerance of coming up with, you know, two people who don't really agree but agree enough in order to serve each other coffee, and maybe marry into each other's families, you know, whatnot. Um, there is a, a sort of way in which you're you're open through moderation and through tolerance to the points of view of others within a relatively broad but still restricted spectrum. This is outside of that spectrum. So the the issue is not Islam to me. The issue is totalizing ideologies that, that provide all answers. And there aren't that many of them left, right? Like Soviet communism died off. It was a totalizing ideology. Um, you see the art, the music, the, the, the cinema. You can, you can spend your entire life in a Soviet mindset um, based on what was produced during that period. Um, but but not, to not all totalizing ideologies are the same. No, they aren't. Right? So no, it's like but, so, but, so the, the, crude, the martyrdom wait, wait, completely changes the game theory, right? Like, like if, if, if Putin uh, get, was yeah, a martyr, yeah. we would feel differently about I, the, the war in Ukraine. I promise. But okay. I'm just trying to account <laughs> let, let me for drag it. you there. Yeah. <laughs> So Sam's a little impatient with Eric, even though Eric has been exceedingly patient with Sam. The first problem I have is that totalizing ideologies are dangerous because there's no way from outside mm -hmm. to check them. Yes. So if there's an error, then you end up with whatever that error is, you know, to the 10,000th power. Now, when you drop in this as a strategy, uh, the next reason I can't really respond to what Gut said is that the, the language, again, that we use, like both sides. Oh, so what about Christian uh, Arabs? You know, the, somehow they're not part of the uh, Islamic Jihad or Hamas. But on the other hand, they may have sympathies with it. Or on the other hand, they may secretly hate it and say, how can we can't get better representation? Some of them may pine to live in Israel. Um, as you know, I lived in Israel for two years, and I had all sorts of crazy conversations. And the spectrum of Arab perspectives or Druze perspectives, or you know, it's a much richer place. And I worry already about the both sidesing, because it, it it ain't both sides. It's so many different factions, and, and then in order to get at this, because. It, the Israeli government will have to take action mm -hmm. against the Hamas government, right? And so that is a both sides. So let's talk about that, wait, 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 wait. because you're arguing with the frame. So give us the frame the way that you think the frame should be. Well, my, my, my first comment is, is that you're going to use words like Palestinians. You're going to use words like occupation, occupied territories. Somebody else might use Judea and Samaria. Somebody else might say Palestine. As soon as I know the language, I know what the arguments are going to be. Okay. This is not my language, and I don't believe these things, and I've agreed to be more or less silent 
uh, on a bunch of things while there was a peace process, because peace processes are, are about BS to a certain extent. You have to lie through a peace process in order to get something at the end of it, and that failed. So, you know, the first thing I'm going to say is I don't believe that this is an, uh, an occupied people. I don't believe that the Arabs are under occupation. And that's going to sound crazy because you're not exposed to any perspective that sounds like that. So how, how are, could you ever come to that conclusion? You have groups of people who are offered a state who we are not listening to. They do not want the state that they are offered. They are offered a choice between a state and a chant. And if you know the chant, it's from the river to the sea. From the river to the sea is what they chose. You could have a state or you could have a chant. And they want the chant. They are the tip of the spear in the global battle against Western hegemony, against an occupying European power in holy Arab land. And they're not going to give up on that as a collective political entity for a relatively... Now, of course, when he said holy, now he's got that in their mouth, he's noticing, okay, well, this is, this is, a, religious, this is a religious conflict for all, for many sides, let's say it that way. I want to get a little bit ahead here. I, I have a lot of respect for how the trigonometry guys do these interviews. I, I, think, they, I think they're very thoughtful. That always worries me about our space is we critique others and we don't model and we don't talk about how to think. And I've asked, we've spent 40 minutes, I've asked both of you how to think about this issue. We are nowhere near there. So let's try. You both put some ideas forward about mm. how you see this problem. How do we think about this, Sam? How, if you're right, let's, just for the sake of argument, okay, Sam, well, this is all about jihadism. I have an answer for you, but I certainly preface it by saying that one... I'm not an expert in any of the relevant areas that would give me <laughs> confidence in, in this answer. This is right? the internet. It's yeah. never stopped anyone. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not like so. I'm. I'm Have very... you been on Twitter? <laughs> yeah. Uh, not much recently. Um, so I'm. I'm very happy that I'm not in charge here. Yes. Right? Like, like, so it's like so. I can say I, I can say this knowing that I have absolutely no responsibility to actually make this kind of decision, but. I, what I think we in the West, in this, in the West however you want to conceive it, um, should do is recognize that we are perpetually at war with aspiring martyrs, right? We're at war with jihadis. Now, how many people like fitting that description actually exist in the Muslim world is as yet undetermined, right? But it's um, more than we should be comfortable with, and it's and and still m most Muslims do not fit that description, obviously, right? And then there are kind of concentric circles of of decreasing s support for the 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 um, the project of jihad. But we have to recognize that we're at war with jihadism. It's and it's, it, in whatever guise, whatever organization or not or non-organization it, it exists in. Um, and we should, and we should be killing jihadis, right? That we're not going to negotiate with jihadis. We're not going to live peaceful, peacefully with jihadis. Um, when you raise your hand and you say I'm a jihadi, that should make your life much more dangerous, uh, officially, from the point of view of of the Israelis, 
the CIA, anyone, anyone who's part of this project. Um, but then we're back and, to Dresden. And this I, and is, I think, this is why I brought it up. I think we're back should, to Dresden. I, I think this mostly should be covert. I think this. I don't think we need to take credit for this. I don't think the Israelis should say we we dealt with the problem over here, and the the, the U.S. should do say we dealt with the problem. You mean covert, or do you mean clandestine? What? How are you distinguishing those? Clandestine means secret. Covert means deniable. Um, I'm not sure I understand all that you. When the CIA undertakes there. a covert operation, yeah. the idea that it if discovered, it will be denied and that the links to the sponsor will be right. severed so that it cannot be traced back to the CIA. So in other words, it's a pretty big distinction. I just didn't yeah. know whether you were Yeah, no, I, I don't actually, I don't know. I don't know if, if it's important in this case, but um, I mean, this, is a, this, is, this, this is an idea that doesn't originate with me. I think I first encountered this with um, the war correspondent uh, and journalist Robert Kaplan, maybe, I think it might, might even be before 9-11 he, he wrote on this. Um, but just the idea that we need to, that all of this has to be public, all of this has to be demonstrative, all, all, this, all of this has to be framed by speeches, uh, that we need to declare, that we're going to go to war in Iraq, right? You know, we're going to go to war in Afghanistan. Um, I mean, if, any, if my thinking about anything has changed since 9-11, the, I mean, I was never, I was never a supporter of the war in Iraq. I was never a critic of the war in Iraq. I never knew what to think about the war in Iraq, except I noticed that it, was, it seemed like a catastrophic distraction from the war in Afghanistan, which I absolutely did support, um, and which was you know, a hopeless fail failure, it certainly seems. Um, but so if, if my thinking has changed about anything, it's this, the idea that we can do this project of nation building, that like by analogy with what we did with you know, post-World War II with Germany and Japan, which are, are miracles of, of uh, resurrection, really. I mean, look at, look at the enemies we had in Germany and Japan and look at the state of the world now, right? I mean, it's just the idea that they are our friends and collaborators and have been for, for virtually, for as long as you know, we've been alive. Um, it's, it's an amazing reboot of civilization after you know, its near destruction. Um, the idea that we can accomplish that in the Middle East and accomplish that in a Muslim culture just because we think everyone must want freedom on some level and must, you know, must want to run the same democratic code as we do and, you know, dye their fingers and say they voted. Um, I'm so, okay, so you understand that, well, there's people out there and they do think different. Well, are they evil? Are they... Do you wash your hands? Do you build a wall? What exactly do you do? And Eric Pace, Eric continues much more to pessimistic wait. about that project ever being fulfillable in the lifetime of anyone hearing this um, than I was, and so I think we should be very circumspect about owning anything. Because the other thing is that because all of this is seen through religious lens on the other side, and it's all a matter of sanctities and their their trespass, as far as the eye can see. So you bring in infidel troops, even with the best of intentions, to do anything good, and it's a, it's a sacri sacrilege worthy of the murder of non-combatants, right? So many people subscribe to this worldview, beyond just jihadists, that you just can't... It, it, the, the project is over with the best of intentions even before it starts. So I, I think, again, this is, and I, I say this as, as someone who 
um, doesn't know all that I'm getting wrong here, at least pragmatically. Like, I don't know, I don't, in terms of co covert or clandestine operations, how you go about killing jihadists wherever they exist. Um, you know, we should get as good as we can get at that. We should get as good as we can get at that. And so, so like, the, so the leaders of Hamas in Qatar, yeah, those those guys, the clock should be ticking on those guys. It right? is. Yeah. So, it, that, but, but that's that, the, so that's the most important piece from my point of view. Jihad, as a job description, jihadism has to be failed. But these people aren't ca cowards. These people who I, organize this expect yeah. to die. So one okay. of the things that, that we say we, is we that should fulfill they're that cowards, expectation. They're cowardly. It's not true. I would, I would never say that. No one, no one yeah. has said that. Say, Eric, is, let's stop arguing with stuff sorry, that's not is being said. As the old joke goes, Sam, you know, what's the difference between a moderate Muslim and a jihadi? Um, the harassment of his sister at an Israeli checkpoint. You know, the problem is you can't just go around killing jihadis because a lot of people express support for jihad who are never going to pick up a gun or strap right. themselves so, to, so, to the so suicide. So that's, that's a distinction I'm making. I mean, there, there are people who in term, the other very depressing thing is that if we, and we have poll results going back now decades, when you ask Muslim communities, not just in the Muslim world, but in the West, what's your level of support for suicide bombing in defense of Islam, right? The numbers are awful, right? And so that's not what I'm, I'm talking about the people who are actually deciding to be jihadis. They're going to get up tomorrow morning to, and, and their so, goal, their, their job is, how do I kill when infidels? Did how do I kill Jews? Islam start? What was that? When did suicide bombing in Islam start? This is not, we don't have to talk about no, the Tamil no, no. Tigers. I'm telling and, you. Like, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's a tactic. It started with the Beirut barracks, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're talking about a relatively recent phenomenon. Yeah, but bombs are a relatively no, recent No, no, there was phenomenon. the golden age of, of hijacking before that. I'm not, I'm not making any excuses for it. I'm trying to say that you're talking about something of such consequence. The idea that we should if I take covert, that we should have a, an official policy of trying to identify people who are jihadi, whatever that means, which is very complicated. They, they identify themselves, right? They, Sam, they, they literally move I, I, to I Syria. Who, I had a friend in Cambridge, Massachusetts, who you would have identified as a jihadi. And he said to me, once you go to Israel, we will never be friends again. We will never speak. Uh, I will have to hate you, blah, 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 blah. He was the one who told me about the hadith with the, he says, you know, remember that this is the tree that is the tree of the Jews that will hide you when the earth cries for your blood. It's an incredible mindset. I'm, you and I are allied on that. It's a mindset that Americans have difficulty thinking through. But what you're talking about, when you talk about the decision boundary of which jihadis to kill. Yeah, so err on the side of conservative, right? I'm just saying we have to recognize we're in a we're in a hot war. Sam, I think this with, is the same problem that you're having with Trump and and other things, which is you are being invited into the abyss. Okay, you're not you're not understanding. Just watch Sam's eye before he looks down. It's it's interesting. I think this with, is the with same jihadis. problem that you're having with Trump and and other things, which is you are being invited into the abyss. You're not understanding, but wait, let me just clarify what I'm recommending here, because if you're not understanding it, the audience isn't understanding it. What I'm saying is much more conservative, at least in my view, with respect to collateral damage and the, and the, and sure. the ethics of, of warfare than what is likely to be happening. Certainly what's, what's, what I think is likely to happen in Gaza, right? I think we should, 
the you want a lot of targeted surgical hold stuff. Up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two things. First of all, let's let Sam finish. And the second thing is, Eric, I want to hear a positive proposition from you because you're kind of positioning yourself in a critique place from which it's much easier to operate. So let Sam finish his point, and then I want to hear from you what you think we should do because otherwise it's kind of asymmetrical. Right. So go, Sam. So our progress morally as a civilization, especially in the West, as a global civilization, but but especially in the West, has been on many fronts, but one crucial front is that we have become more and more uncomfortable in taking innocent life, however defensively, when we wage war, right? So, so collateral damage, is it's, it's, that phrase is a euphemism that hides just these the, the ghastliest outcomes where you have, you know, Children orphaned and children blown up and every permutation of that, that horror. And we, because we've become more and more transparent to ourselves in how we wage war, we are increasingly less and less capable of waging war the way we did in, in World War II and, and, and Vietnam. And, and I think that's a, that's a good thing. It's a good thing until it isn't, right? I mean, I, I can imagine us getting into a war where we have to finally say, Fuck it. We we have to we have to roll back our moral compass to 1945 because this enemy is hiding behind so many beautiful blonde-haired little girls. All those girls are going to die. Otherwise, we all die, right? So like that's that's conceivable to me. But we, I certainly hope we don't have a future like that. And so I think we should have a bias toward being more and more compassionate, more and more scrupulous, more and more aware of how intolerable it is for, in this case, completely innocent families in Gaza to have 500-pound bombs dropped on their heads, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's completely unacceptable. The details are unacceptable. And I, I don't share your view that if we just saw more of the imagery, that would help us calibrate here, because the imagery is so provocative. The imagery of a dead baby being, being pulled out of rubble is so provocative. It's okay, I, that was plenty. And if you want to watch the whole thing, you can watch the whole thing. It's on trigonometry. Eric doesn't have much of a positive proposal. He's pretty pessimistic. Eric tends to be quite pessimistic. But, I mean, kill all the jihadis. Okay, now let's get back to what we were talking about. We're talking about, okay, well, what is evil? And where does it come from? And this is where Sam and Jordan are very interesting because again unlike eric it's going back and forth and kk constantine is sort of in the middle being or jordan is letting sam have his talk he's asking sam to explain jordan is saying i, I want to try to get you right i want to try to get you right jordan isn't really doing any arguing with sam the way eric is okay so jordan's gonna do try to do some what jordan's gonna bring in here is once again sort of the big defeater belief that destroys the reductive materialist worldview, which is combinatory explosiveness, which means that there are too many facts, there are too many relationships between things that actually afford the simplistic reductionist worldview that Sam continues to have to maintain in order to manage good and evil. Without a uniting narrative. So, for example, if I just move, if I pick up a glass to move my 
a cup from the table to my lips. I have to organize all those extraordinarily complex actions, right, which cascade up from the molecular level through the musculature of my body. I have to organize that into something that's coherent and unified in order to bring about any action whatsoever. And what that implies is that there's a hierarchy of uniting structure. And what the postmodernists do is arbitrarily make that halt at a certain level. It's like, so you're allowed a uniting narrative or structure up to a certain level, but beyond that, you're not allowed it at all. And that's the point at which the meta-narrative emerges, and those are now forbidden. And I don't understand that because I think that it's an arbit a distinction between a narrative and a meta-narrative is a, is a, it's an arbitrary distinction, and you can't attend or act without a uniting narrative. So now you're... Now, if you go back to the onstage Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris talks, they spent a lot of time talking about narrative. And for much of that conversation, Harris continued to want to say, narratives are unimportant, narratives are unimportant. This question of narrative is centrally important, both to postmodernity and now to metamodernity. We don't have the word, what comes after postmodernity, which recognizes that narrative is essential for human functioning and for human phenomenological functioning and for human agency. Now, Sam is going to continue to sort of try to undercut agency, but this is, this is the point that Peterson is making. He's pressing Sam on this. You seem to be pointing to something like that. So let, let me walk through your argument. You, well, you pointed well, to the I'll Taliban. Add other, I'll, I'll add one other, which I think is a simpler defeater, which is that they, that the claim is that there, there can be no universal values, right? And a, a universal truth claim with respect to right and wrong and good and evil. And yet they tacitly make the universal claim that tolerance of this ethical diversity is better than intolerance, right? Okay, he doesn't, he doesn't engage with the combinatorial explosive question at all, which was the main point. And now basically he's going to say, well, the problem is that they're, they, they sort of pose as relativists, but when it comes right down to it, they have this value of tolerance, which goes all the way back to the question of if we can only have the, the morality philosopher stone, then everyone will say, oh, water is H2O. I must agree with this as if, as if, <laughs> as if people are that simple. Never, never are. And again, as a pastor, I'll often have Pastor, what we really need is for you to preach a real clear sermon about X. And I'll say, oh, so that will make them stop. Well, if you say it, it's like, and, and I've told the story before, because when people, maybe the reason I have such a small church, <laughs> because then people will say things like this to me, and then I'll turn it around and I'll say, but if I could see something in your life that I don't think is right, if I told you to stop, would you? And right away they sort of pause because, well, what is he talking about? What what in my life would he? And and maybe I would and and see and the the reason I turn it around is because what seems so abundantly clear going one direction, once it's on you, it's not clear at all. Well, pastor, it's you have to understand that there's this and that and that. And, yeah, yeah, I get it. Don't you think? 
it's that same way with the other people. So, so there, so the, the demand is we need to tolerate, we need to find some space in our minds to tolerate the difference offered by the Taliban or Hamas. All or, right, I've only got, I've listened to all of this already, and it was. I'm going to try and save you by getting to some of the salient points, and then of course they really dig into a lot of this later. Evil people, right? I think there are evil people. I think there are true psychopaths and sadists who. Okay. So there are evil people. Okay, there's psychopaths and sadists. Okay, what causes that? Because that's a real question here. Because, well, some people are evil, and I don't have a problem with the multivariant thing here, but I think they all kind of keep collapsing for Sam. So some people have, have are, let's, let's say they are mentally defective. Well, where does that defect come from? And then what, what's with these religions? Now, Peterson is going to basically pull back, and Peterson's going to talk, start talking using the word spirits, that there are spirits that are moving. And you can already see Peterson shifting into this language of spirits. He's shifting into a much different anthropology to conceptualize human behavior as individuals and groups. And spirits are sort of a, a handy language and a handy framework to start continuing that. That's going to have no place in Sam's world at all, even though he keeps talking about these religious ideas as having agency. For whom it's, you know, it is true to say that if evil means anything, it, it, you know, it should be applied to their, their conscious states and their psychology. But so much of what we consider to be evil I and mean, so, much, so much of what produces needless human misery uh, is... The result of otherwise normal people psychologically behaving terribly because they believe fairly crazy and unsupportable things about, you know, what reality is and how they should live within it. Okay, so there's in many ways sort of the nub of the vision of salvation and transformation of the new atheists. That people are believing wrong things. This is so Protestant. I'm a Protestant minister. I get it. This is so people are believing crazy things. Therefore, if we can educate them out of these beliefs, well, how would we do that? Well, we would do that like a Protestant church or a school, which in many ways is deeply connected to a Protestant church. We would sit there and tell them this is right and this is wrong. Oh, okay. Remember the little story I just told you about being a minister? It's not how people work. So, so some people are evil because they have bad brains. Other people are evil because they have bad ideas. And so we're going to have to fix that. So you know, I, would, I would by no means ever want to suggest, in fact, I'm at pains to, to say otherwise whenever I can remember to, that you know, all jihadists or even most jihadists or all Nazis or even most Nazis are or were psychopaths right i mean that the, the horror of these belief systems is that they is not that they act like bug lights for the world psychopaths and you and you attract a lot of people who would be doing terrible things anyway and they just they just happen to start doing it in this new context let's say under the islamic state um no you you, you certain ideologies attract totally normal people who would otherwise be totally recognizable to us psychologically and socially as good, normal people, 
but okay okay so in other words you've got some who are evil because they've got brain malfunction and you have some who are evil because they're they're living in a context and they're sort of absorbing all of the bad ideas and that's what's producing them for the fact that they be convinced they got convinced that you know of whatever the, the relevant dogma is you know in the case okay. of yeah okay, okay. well so okay, i would say that's another point of agreement we we it seems to me that that the the pathological the systems that produce rapid movement towards social and psychological pathology both facilitate now you also have to understand that Jordan has been working on this idea that sanity is not found between my ears in the proper functioning brain. Sanity is what is happening between people relationally. Go back and watch his conversation with Chris Williamson. I covered that. And he's been talking this line for a while now, and I almost always point it out when I hear it. Sanity is not between the ears... It's between the people. And what's between the people? I used to always tell people in church, and they'd always look at me like I was strained. You can read the New Testament, and you can say, well, the Holy Spirit is within you. But when you look at how the Apostle Paul talks about the Holy Spirit, I would often say, when it comes to the church, the Holy Spirit is between us. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean, it's, it's in terms of our relationship. And I'm not saying it's not within us, but spirits are... We are deeply permeable to spirits. And again, for some of you, to the degree to which you sort of are continued to be entrenched in this Cartesian system. And it's so funny. Sam Harris says something in this video that is so utterly Cartesian that, well, but Peterson is already getting beyond that. And Peterson's going to slip into that language a couple times in this. I don't know if we'll catch it in just the instances that I play, but psychopathic behavior and attract the psychopaths i would say it's it's both of those you can have both of those operating at the same time right and so then what we have are people we have systems of ideas working in the background and those systems of ideas draw people into their orbit and motivate them to do things that un, under the influence of other systems of ideas they might not be inclined to do seem reasonable yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, so, and also, okay. I, I just note. Okay. So Jordan said, okay, let's use systems of ideas. And, you know, a modernist can hear, says, okay, I'm comfortable with that word. And so, okay, so people are programmable. In, I mean, you might want to leave this aside, but you, in your description of yeah. a, a, a guard at Auschwitz who enjoys his work, um, I think it's tempting to imagine that that guard is incapable of all the ordinary forms of happiness and life satisfaction that we... Now, this guard at Auschwitz who enjoys his work is really important because, as I very succinctly described in my tweet, Sam kind of thinks we need institutions that will reprogram people from the irrational religious thing into this rationality that if in fact we are now just having rationality but of course sam again is increasingly an anomaly because more and more people like peter bogosian are basically saying 
Uh, well, kind of like um, Schellenberger said. I think Christianity works better. Christianity has better outcomes than the alternatives. All, all of them? No, most of them. I think that there's a small number of people that can handle atheism, and I know all of you. <laughs> and I'm friends with all of them. <laughs> okay, here we Now, Sam here is basically saying that the, the Nazi prison guard who enjoys his work at Auschwitz can be kind to his cat and nice to his wife and love his child and... Fair enough. There's that kind of complexity. I So he's wanting to avoid a straw man. I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. Or at least most of us won't argue with that. So then we're going to have an ad <laughs> for the... <laughs> for, 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 for not Sam's app. Challenge. Advent was CN for the separate for slash pushing of the incentive kind mediated by dopamine is associated with movement towards a, a posited goal. And so what that means is that false goal produces false enthusiasm, false goals produce false enthusiasm, essentially by definition, right? And so that's actually, by the way, as far as I can tell, the moral of the story of the Tower of Babel, by the way, is that you can build pyramidal structures that reach to the sky that are predicated upon either false goals or false assumptions. And the consequence of that is the creation of a state of disunity and misery so comprehensive that people can no longer communicate with one another. So now these systems, see, Sam, the reason I brought this up in part is because my meditations on the influence of systems of ideas, I thought about these as systems of animating ideas that I saw a very strong concordance. If you listen to him, most of the time he'll say animating spirits. He's not going to say that because that's going to trigger Sam. ...between the action of systems of animating ideas and archetypes. And so that's why I started to become interested in archetypes. And so the, I would say that the one way of conceptualizing the, the possession, the ideas that possess people that motivate them in a pathological direction is that they're possessed by ideas that are archetypally evil. And so here's the, here's the question I have. Don't want to say evil spirits because that'll trigger Sam. For you. And I, my sense is that you, and this is the same as Richard Dawkins, is that you guys identify the spirit that motivates people to act in a in a pathological direction, the Taliban. You identify that with the religious, with the religious impulse. Mm -hmm. Now, is that a fair characterization? Well, I would say that it's not exclusively religious, but insofar as it is religious, it gets even more leverage in, in, in that context and to, to worse end. So for instance, you know, what is worse about jihadism than you know, ordinary forms of terrorism, in my view, it, it is the religious topspin it all it has based on the the its motivating ideas. So the fact that it is is in principle otherworldly, the fact that it is you know just anchored to to prophecy and belief in the supernatural, all of that potentiates it uh, in the you know further in the wrong direction. So you, like the, you know the troubles in Ireland 
would have been made worse had the Irish Catholics also been suicide bombers uh, expecting to go straight to heaven because there was a, a passage in the New Testament which said, you know, if you die while killing... Uh, now, okay, fair enough. But again, this, this, this also gets into sort of this straw man of religion that what these uh, what the bible is is these list of rules and sort of this code by which people operate which is way less sophisticated than it is now also the supernatural thing comes in there and so then we see once again well we've got this division of the world into natural and supernatural and well rational people stay away from the, i mean the supernatural thing is a big I mean, just if you want to, you want to push a, you want to push a, a new atheist button and a bunch of your buttons just say supernatural and bang, it just, just hits that little button in there. Stance in the face of, let's say, the Hamas atrocities or the atrocities of the Taliban or the atrocities of Auschwitz, because there's nothing higher to point to against which to contrast those patterns of endeavor. But if you do posit something that's of the highest, then you run into the problem, whereas you just pointed out that you can use your hypothetical alliance with what is now deemed to be highest to justify your own evil actions, but also to skew your moral sentiments so that you take positive pleasure in this, let's say, in the suffering of others, even the suffering of innocent children. So, but... Now, now, suffering is a key thing in here because uh, there's so much here and it takes so much time to go through. But if you listen to Sam, I mean, basically evil is suffering. And so, and this, this tends to lead to other areas of his worldview, which is he wants to, he wants to sort of objectify good and evil. So, okay, so you're, you're going to wind up with a phenomenological foundation. And that phenomenological foundation, especially in his Cartesian world, is going to be suffering. I suffer, therefore, I know that evil exists. And therefore, goodness is non-suffering. Now, this leads to all sorts of wackiness that you can point at, like Brave New World. Put me on Soma. Um, and I always have this joke about a cocaine, cocaine shot and a bullet chaser. Well, that's how you get rid of evil, because you get rid of suffering. And he's going to talk about you know suffering all the way down to plant life or animal life and you know that basically the greatest possible world is the least amount of suffering and peterson's leaning in on him and saying is that really gonna is do you really believe that because i doubt it now on the one hand if you drop the notion of the highest good you end up in the morass of moral relativism and on the other hand if you accept it then you end up in a situation where you can justify the worst behavior in reference to the highest possible good is that is that a reasonable you portrayal know, I, of the of a, see, of of a conundrum I, I don't find it i think that's a needle that we can easily thread uh, and so the, and the way i would do it is just to say that there's obviously higher good and it's also obvious that we don't know we don't fully know its character right so that like we, we know that things can get better they can, they can get quite a bit better and quite a bit worse and we know that better and worse 
Um, maybe that's as multidimensional as you want it to be, right? There's not not just one. It's not just a. For instance, it's just not. It's not just a matter of more pleasure. Say, it's not just a matter of more physical health. It's not just a matter of more love. It's not just a matter of more. So we can, you know, extend your list of desirable things as long as you want, but we know that this universe offers, in the space of all possible minds and all possible experiences, there is there there are places of unimaginable suffering where and and where that without any silver lining there's no good that ever comes of it it's just you know a functional hell right um we know even within the context and 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 conversely we know that there's just experiences of 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 beauty and creativity and inspiration and love and gratitude that we, you know, that those of us who have had them, you know, either in meditation or, or on psychedelics or, you know, in, in other peak moments in life. Now pay attention that these are experiences. So this dissolution of reductive materialism is even moving through Sam Harris. And it's evident in this, in, in his focus on the phenomenology of meditation. You know, we just find ourselves tongue-tied in the aftermath trying to capture what, what, what was going on there. So we know that these extremes exist. We know that there are things that we can do individually and together to maximize the, the, the likelihood of one versus the other. And so if good means anything, if, if, if right and wrong mean anything, um, it means navigating into this space of of better and better possibilities for not not just individually but mm -hmm. but together, and so I, what I would say is that we don't need to know exactly what the highest possible good is. We just have to know directionally that it's you know, the implications of moving right, left, up, or up or down. Right. So if I told you, well, there's a button we could press now. We have a new technology. There's a button you can press that make some, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll just make everyone on earth a little less happy, right? With nothing that, nothing good ever comes, to, uh, there's no silver lining to this. It's just, they, everyone just gets a little crankier, a little dimmer, a little um, um, less satisfied, a little less creative, a little less appreciative. Now, now, I appreciate the fact that in order to tell the little story, you have to flatten it. But again, first of all, notice it's phenomenological. Second of all, also notice that you sort of smuggle in, well, no good comes of it. Think about something like nostalgia or send such joy, which is a German word for joy that Lewis would always talk about. Lewis, Lewis would always talk about He'd be smitten by this joy, and this joy for him wasn't just happiness or pleasure. It was also sort of a, it, it was something like nostalgia, but it was a, it was a, it was a haunted pleasure that invited. It was a, it was a painful pleasure that the ache was that you knew there was more of it. So it's interesting again how Sam is, we want to get this objective thing. Now, of course, you're going to have problems with relativism because if you think, okay, well, maybe you've got so many hundreds of millions of people that 
for them, the phenomenology of blessedness and beauty looks one way. And for, let's say, in the Islamic world, the phenomenology of blessed and beauty looks another way. Now you say, well, we can reduce that to more food versus less food. Well, then you've got, you've got the fasters. Um, we can reduce that to, it's, it's extremely difficult to re reduce, just like suffering is an extremely difficult thing to quantify. And, and because it is, it is sort of in a different dimension. It's not like water that you can sort of put in a measuring cup. Of, of their good fortune, although they just go down the list and we just de decrement, you know, all the good things just by a little right now. It, it just, we just know that it would be bad to press that button, right? That, like that's, that would be a bad thing. We just know thing to do if we could engineer some neurotoxin to spread all over the world that would make people a little bit less good in all kinds of ways and a little bit less happy um a little bit less intelligent a little bit less creative okay that that would be a bad thing right directionally right and we don't have to know the ultimate negativity or the ultimate positivity we don't have to know just how good human life could ultimately get without any possible residue of, of improvement. Um, we just know directionally that, it, you know, where, from where we stand, the Taliban are making things quite a bit worse, even though they think they're making them better, right? So, like, it, like we know that it's possible to look at a, a specific human project, right, for, you know, st standing on the outside of it and say, okay, these people don't know what they're missing, right? And by, and by extrapolation, we know that there must be. So we know, it's just, it, it just, it, 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 when he goes this way, it just boggles my mind. The, all that is just passing under in the assumption. There must be some place to stand to look at our current projects, uh, by which it would be valid to say, okay, these people, you know, now talking about you and me and all of our, you know, mo most enlightened friends, these people don't know what they're missing, right? There's something, there's, there are things that, that they could be taught, that they could learn, technologies that they could invent, intuitions that they could suddenly have, epiphanies that they could have, that would orient them in a direction that would be propitious, that would, would make things better in ways that they, they, they have not even begun to imagine, right? All right, that's enough of that. Okay, we're going to get to the end of the um, the YouTube section, and then I'm going to have to figure out how to deal with the Daily Wire section, because like Nahile, I don't expect all of you to subscribe to the Daily Wire, but unfortunately, there are elements in there that really illuminate, but not all. Some of them are still on this side of it. I mean, it's taken me a long time to understand this, repeated conversations with you, but it seems to me that a huge part of your motivation has been a consequence of your willingness to contend seriously with the reality of evil and to try to set up, uh, what would you say, at least to investigate the nature of a morality that might mitigate against that. Mm. So, He's an activist. Well, well I'll I, leave that at your feet for yeah, the time so being. I mean, I, I mean, I'll give you a, a response which will indicate, I think, the... Um, what I consider to be the, the provisionality and, and perhaps even um, mistaken nature of, of that, the framing, you, the Christian framing you just gave. Um, but I think it's possible and perhaps even 
more useful to view evil. And I, it's, it's, it's unavoidable to talk about evil, you know, just as a matter of shorthand in talking about current events. And I think, and I think we don't want to lose the term because I think it's, I think moral outrage is the kind of fuel we need in at certain moments, to, and 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 that's invoked by. Okay, now remember what he said in trigonometry. What the West lacks spine, and and this is sort of where I and Hersey Ali came in. You know, the the West lacks spine, so we need moral outrage to have the spine to be able to do the killing we need to do in order to end suffering or at least reduce it by you know, question, you know, framing things in terms of good and evil. But I think it's at least plausible to think of evil at bottom as being more a matter of ignorance than anything else. And this certainly would be the Buddhist framing of, of evil. I mean, Buddha, Buddhists don't tend to think about evil, and certainly the Buddhist teachings about this weren't really a matter of... Okay, put a pin in this. Evil is ignorance. Evil versus good it's, it's more a matter of ignorance versus wisdom um and even you know greek philosophy you know, socrates i believe made this point that you know no one consciously or very very few people consciously do evil i mean but you have a lot of people thinking they're doing good in their own way um so they're mistaken okay and and if well what do you do with and this again goes back to the preacher thing well just tell them oh is, is that how people work? You just tell them? No, if you show them, oh, and this is part of the, you know, this is part of the idolatry of rationality of this so-called, this, this imaginary, objective, moral philosopher stone that somehow you can, well, it's H2O. Well, okay. Despite how much harm they're creating. So... The deeper problem may, in fact, be ignorance. And, and one way of seeing this, you, you can ask yourself: you, you take somebody, take a quintessentially evil person. You know, do you do you have a candidate for like the, the most evil person uh, you can think of psychologically? Who's, like, can you give me a name? Stalin. Psychologically? Okay, Stalin. And Stalin's kind of. Okay. Stalin would be up there. Right. I would so, say. so you take Stalin. Now. At a certain point in his life, he was just a little kid, right? He was just—he was just this, you know, the four-year-old Joseph, who was, in my view, I mean, he could—he could have been a psychopathic kid. I don't—I don't know about enough about his his biography, but okay, pay attention. So again, evil is a product of brain malfunction, or, and you know. Presumably he wasn't a psychopath. Doesn't seem so. Yeah. It, presumably he wasn't a, a terrifying infant, you know. But at a certain point, you have, you know, if you, at a point young enough in his timeline, you have to just acknowledge that he really is unlucky. I mean, he's the kid who, for whatever reason, you know, genetic and environmental, uh, is going to become the evil monster Joseph Stalin, right? And so at what. Okay. So unlucky. Well, how does that function how does how does that factor into this genetic or environmental so so some things it's not brain malfunction something's going to make him ignorant whereas everyone around him who has had similar context and they're i mean they're not going to be ignorant like him or they'll be ignorant and i mean this ignorance thing 
I don't think that's going to get you where you really want to go. At point along the way, does he actually become evil? Well, that's hard to specify. I mean, you, there'll be moments in his story where we can recognize, all right, he's now not a a normal, much less normative personality, right? He's treating... He's... And, you know, with Stalin, we can make an argument that, well, you know, he really starved the Ukraine because he thought, you know, he had the better... He had the better idea in mind that, well, if we can just really get this whole evolution of history, this Marxist thing going, then, you know, we, we can just fast forward it along if we take the food away from the kulaks and get rid of them and really get history underway. Oh, okay. So you can call that ignorance. You can call that being wrong. It certainly was wrong. Ignorance, I don't know is quite the right word, but I don't necessarily want to be too pedantic over that word. He was under the sway of a particular spirit. We could use, use, use that language. Okay, you don't like that spirit word. Okay, ideology. Okay. Now, I'm by no means a Stalin expert. But, okay, so he had high ideals about how to bring in the advance of history through Marxist ideas and that framework that he had inherited. And, inherited, and well, but what about the evil thing? Well, well, maybe he traded his daughter well. And, and maybe he had people in his life that he loved. But as any of us know, when it comes down to, let's even imagine looking at the evil in our own hearts. Now, of course, I am a Calvinist, which means that in terms of the Christian religious spectrum, I have a fairly Augustinian imagination in terms of the amount of evil that is in my own heart. I don't find evil to be simply ignorance or a lack of information. Let's say if I, um, if if I am annoyed by my wife, now I should treat her with kindness and love as I should a wife. But I'm I'm annoyed by her because she said something or she did something I didn't like it, and so a little part of me is going to get back at her for that. And I'm going to get back at her for that and all kinds of probably passive-aggressive ways. I'm not going to yell at her. I'm not going to cuss her out. I'm Maybe when I get home, the kiss I give her will be a little bit, a little bit of a peck. And instead of being, oh, hi, honey, how was your day? And maybe I'll hide behind my computer. Or all of these tiny little things. This isn't ignorance. There's something else going on in my heart. Now, I, may, I might wrap it up in all kinds of high-minded ideas about, well, I'm, you know, I, my, my wife is wrong about these things, and I am right. So in my passive-aggressive way, I am going to teach her and correct her. That's a bunch of hooey. You know, this is, this, is, this is much more basic behavior. And you can read Neil Planica's um, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, a breviary of, of evil, and, and you, a breviary of sin. And you can see... The, Human beings have been thinking about evil for a very long time. And I'm, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm very, I know sometimes people send me notes about Buddhism or Islam and things like this. I, I, I really avoid just trying to 
as best I can, and I'm sure I've done it, just sort of categorically dismiss things as little as possible. But very few people who have thought long and hard about evil would simply dismiss it as ignorance. Now, it might be counterproductive that I treat my wife in the passive-aggressive way that I do when I get home because she said or did something that annoys me. But it's not ignorance. I know what I'm doing. And I would, Im I would imagine that Joseph Stalin, when he was killing the people he did and giving the orders he did, and when an entire community of people all around him at a very high level were constantly living in fear that he might do away with them. He knew what he was doing. And sort of in the words of Douglas Murray, you know, not, ha not imagining that there is someone who is actually watching and keeping count that he will have to answer to. One of the amazing things about all of these dictators that sort of got away with it, so let's say Hitler, Stalin, and Mao. Now maybe Hitler would not have wanted to die in a bunker in Germany or, or maybe somewhere in Argentina, I don't know. Um, Mao, Stalin, Lenin. How exactly do we bring people to account. Well, we do it through suffering through time. Well, what if, what, if, what if they die old and surrounded at least by, well, in Stalin's case, there's an argument that maybe they actually did him in. But, again, this is, this is here is a guy that we have heard a number of times. I mean, and I, I get, I get really nervous when I listen to him talk about the jihadis because I just think of that civil war, you know, kill them, kill them all. And it's just like, oh, uh, I usually hang the evil tag on impulses like that because they're a little too much like, let's say, the passive aggressiveness that I might treat my wife with if I'm annoyed by her just blown up to an incredible degree. He's treating people sadistically, and so I don't know when that started, but there's a point before that where you think, well, listen, if there'd be any way to have helped this kid not become this evil monster, we should have helped him, right? We would have helped him if we could, and that would have been the right thing to do, right? So merely hating him. For a guy who doesn't believe in God, this we, who is this we? Where is this we? <laughs> I mean, there, there's for 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 someone who doesn't believe that there's a central authority or focal point or perspective in the universe to somehow intervene with little Joe Stalin. Is it the school system? Is it the government? It certainly can't be the church. Him and killing him is, would, would not have been the ethically normative thing to have done there because he's not yet the person who created all the harms he, he goes on to create. Uh, and, but I would say that even if you go forward, even if you, if you get him in his truly malevolent form, you know, toward the, you know, the, the middle and end of his life, imagine what it would be like if we had 
Joseph Stalin at his worst in custody. And we had a, a much more mature science of the mind uh, available to us. And we actually had a cure for evil. I mean, just imagine what it would be like to deliver this. Okay. Okay. Defenders of Sam Harris. Here it is. Here it is. Oh, a cure for evil. A cure for evil. It's cure. We can actually just, just modify all of the receptor sites and densities and connections in the brain so, to, so as to turn this malevolent sociopath into a, an entirely normal person with the normal pro-social attitudes, et cetera, et cetera. But keeping intact his biographical memory and uh, the other aspects of his identity, right? So, so imagine being able to engineer the following experience for Joseph Stalin, where you deliver him the, the cure for, for all that ails him ethically. I, maybe it's just me. I hear this and I think, this is your worldview? Um, what was, what was the relationship between ignorance and evil? Do you have no understanding of human formation? And then that mysterious thing that someone who grew up just like, let's say you did the life of Brian on Joseph Stalin. Um, it, it's a mystery. We don't know. But now Sam is thinking, well, just imagine the, the real thing he's saying is, it's between his ears. That's what he's saying. It's between his ears. Is it really? If I sat down with a marriage counselor and let's say me and my wife are sitting there in marriage counseling and you know, usually you kind of go over, well, you know, what, what, what happened this week? Well, you know, I, Paul came home after work the other day and he sure seemed cold to me. And um, okay, well, let's get into that. And well, Paul, why, why were you cold to her? Well, it's because she said this and this to me. And um, okay, well, was being cold to her really probably the best strategy? No. Well, what might have been a better strategy? Well, maybe if, you know, when she had said this or done this, that maybe you should have... After you had sort of, you know, calmed down a little bit and were a little less triggered, you could sit down with her and you could say, you know, when you said to me, I sort of, you know, go into Peterson when he talks about him and his wife getting to the bottom of it and can't imagine what that would have been like, but I'm sure it's happened dozens of times because in any given marriage it does. But now here with Joseph Stalin at the height of his power, we're going to bring him in for brain surgery and make him less evil. Are you serious? This is the answer. This is the worldview. I, th I think a lot of people think this, but I think few dare to say it out loud because it's just silly. And but he has, still has a memory. He has a, he has a, he has the knowledge of what you're doing. You've told him what you're doing, and he has the memory of all the stuff, all the malevolent stuff he did in his past. Imagine what it would be like for him to to wake up from the dream of his sociopathy and experience for the first time what it was like to be a normal, well-intentioned, decent human being, right? Imagine what that would be like. Imagine if you just woke up tomorrow recognizing that you had in this fugue state of psychopathy over the previous year, you had killed you know, 60 million people and, 
uh, done other you know odious things. Just imagine the imagine the one the feeling of 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 uh, and, and again, but but wait, what happened to the ignorance? No, 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 no. Now it's now it's something between his ears. Oh well, is that how you deal with ignorance? Can we do surgery on people instead of sending them to college? And the truth is, well, okay, well maybe. You know, after I came home and was annoyed with my wife and in a passive-aggressive way gave her the cold shoulder and, and sort of, you know, subtly communicated to her that I wasn't happy. And she probably has no idea what I wasn't happy with, in fact, but just knows that I came home and I didn't treat her very well. And the next morning, I woke up and I thought to myself, it was really, you know, she, she didn't, she didn't. I'm playing a petty, stupid game. Why don't I stop? Yeah. But then again, I haven't killed 60 million people. I just was a little bit of a jerk to my wife when I came home from work. Well, okay. So, I mean, this is this is just... I, I listen to this and I think, do you have no understanding of human beings? Have you never met anyone? Do you are, are you so absolutely clueless as to how people actually work in the world? I just think this doesn't... And, you know, again, Peterson isn't jumping all over him, but those of us who have listened to way more Peterson than Sam Harris have know, number one, the tyranny is not just within Joseph Stalin. It's within the entire system. And it's within all of the people. We know this. It's not just in Joseph Stalin. It's in everyone. And so that's why Peterson keeps defaulting to this idea of a spirit, because that's in the imaginal that's in the imaginary that's sort of what spirits can do it's kind of in the entire system so it is in stalin but is it between his ears no not really because for all this i mean remember what he said about the prison guard and, and again i listen to him say these things and it's like regret to have been at all entangled with that causality however you know little purchase you have on it in the present because again you're no longer evil but to imagine the gratitude of feeling of just you're no longer evil maybe supplements you know you know enzymes or proteins i can take in my brain that will no longer be evil and remember what he said before about just you know conflicts of simple human desires having people do evil things are you gonna get rid of that evil i mean th this just is incoherent just being rescued from that the, the kind of mind that would have been you know so cavalier about the, the deaths and, and the miseration of millions of people right so that the fact that this is even possible this thought and peterson is just sitting there see I think this is the much more dangerous Peterson than the one who's going back and forth. Peterson is just, he's just watching and listening and learning and evaluating. And he's thinking whether or not Sam Harris will ever understand the critique, I will know this critique so well, I am going to cut it down. Whatever, whatever spirit is inhabiting this crazy talk, that is making it come out of Sam Harris's mouth. I am gonna slay that spirit. I, I I suspect that's what he's doing because I, with everything that he said, listening to this, it's just wow. He's showing a lot of self control.
thought experiment that at some future date we'll have a, a way of curing evil people and that it would make no sense ethically at that point to go to go into our prisons and say, well, we're, we're going to withhold the cure because as, as punishment for all the evil stuff these people did. It's like, you know, that's like, you know, and I just get visions of the 19th century of, the, of this progressivism that that thought that we can rehabilitate people and this is how we're going to do it. And I just think, no, well, now we're going to do it by, you know, getting into their skulls. OK, withholding the cure for for diabetes for from you know diabetics the moment we get it because you know of all the the bad things they did when their blood sugar was too low you know I mean, it's just, it does it, does, it wouldn't make any sense ethically but that suggests a kind that that ignorance is more of the problem here it's like evil people because of the brains they have because of the life lives they've had because of the the if you want to add you know, a religious dimension to it because of the souls they have, the souls they didn't pick. Um, Don't give me that. You can, if you, if you hate it, just hate it. Just stick with the parts that you, that you accept. They're unlucky to be evil and unavailable to, you know, much of the, oh, they're not elect, I suppose. The human goodness you and I experience. And um, if we could change that, they would, they would be standing with us in a position of astonishment that they could have ever been those sorts of people. If we can open up their brains and rewire them so they can be like us, they can all be like me. Because I see no one else does. And so I think, I do think at, at, you know, at some level, the question of good and evil is amenable to a, to a different framing, which is more along the lines of, of wisdom and and ignorance. You don't know. People don't know well, what they're missing. That, that's the, that across across mm -hmm. every possible dimension of both intellectual and ethical uh, and relational. You know, I, and and whole societies don't know what they're missing. And and figuring figuring out what's missing mm -hmm. and what and what we're missing is 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 all of our work. Yeah. Well, I would say we'll have to leave that. So now, you know, I've, I've looked at these Daily Wire cuts, and so, um, yeah, it, it's obviously edited so that the YouTube portion ends, but then they go on. And, you know, sometimes the Daily Wire portion is kind of a biography thing, which, if you watch my channel, you know, I'm super interested in that part, Some, sometimes more interested in the, in the ideas. But in this case, the conversation continues. So then they start talking. So Peterson starts talking about the meditation app and says, it seems to me that it's not going to come as a shock to you that the manner in which the domain of spirituality has been integrated into your life. And first of all, I want to know um, if that's a fair characterization of it. And, um, you know, he's going to be he's going to be a little bit questioning of that. Um you know, talk about psychedelics. And that, that was kind of interesting because he talked about how much time he spent in India and with psychedelics. And, and so that was part of, that was part of Sam's journey. He mentions Thomas Merton, which was super interesting. He, he talks about the fact that to, he, he has this interesting analogy where he says a, an astrologer, you don't have to say you're a non-astrologer, uh, leaders, uh, leaders, you know, this, this, um, 
we just reject astrology because there's no good evidence for it. And if people were using astrology to make the decisions of enormous civilizational import, I don't know, like Nancy Reagan, uh, we, we would be viewing it um, rightfully as a kind of an emergency and we have to figure out how to discredit them. He claims that organizing around the variable of atheism politically is, is a dead end. And so in that sense, um, no, no atheist people's party. And, and he'll go into all of the usual stuff that he talks about with his meditation that, well, you know, meditation is really important because then you learn that there's no there there and that this, the person that you are is an illusion. And it's like, wait a minute, didn't, didn't, didn't we listen to you complaining about the illusion that was atheism or that was jihadism? And now the person is an illusion. And so, okay, so we're just sort of left swimming they talk about the possibility of there being consciousness with AI. Now, now of course, that the, the question of whether we can create machines with consciousness, and, and to a degree, questions of panpsychism and how that connects with his idea of evil. Because remember, evil is suffering, and suffering requires consciousness. So once you suddenly, once you suddenly make conscious machines, then you're going to have the responsibility to make sure that conscious machines have a pleasant consciousness. I don't know, maybe you can program that. And again, we're just sort of knocking on the door of Soma and Brave New World with him all the time. And, and then they get into, Harris basically begins to talk as if you could functionally substitute the word consciousness for God. That, that for, for Sam, the basis of the world is consciousness. And that's where he says in the Daily Wire section, he says something which is just sort of right out of Descartes. I can't doubt my existence because I have consciousness. It's basically, I think, therefore I am. In consciousness, consciousness itself subsumes all of our spiritual and even religious preoccupation. So you ask, um, so you take the beliefs of a fundamentalist Christian or a, a conservative Muslim, both of whom are quite worried about spending eternity in hell. Um, uh, these are wrong beliefs, of course, because he knows this somehow. I don't know how he knows this somehow, but but the, because there's no evidence for it, so... Okay, these are wrong beliefs, so then what you really do have is sort of a consciousness. So you have to build up from consciousness, and then you get sort of his, his mapping of, well, suffering, conscious suffering, if it's pointless. Well, how would you know whether or not it's pointless is evil, and so if we can eradicate all of that. And again, you, you're sort of left with the idea that, well, then consciousness itself is the problem because if you don't have consciousness, you don't necessarily have suffering and you're going to wind up in some kind of nihilistic antinatalism. And, and again, that's why I say Harris is in some ways voicing a certain spirit that is in the world and that's part of the reason it goes there. Goodness is, again, in consciousness. If the consciousness is the problem, the fact is that there will be, and there will uh, be something that it's like to be in hell. If hell exists, that's the problem with hell, right? Conscious of consciousness is everything. And, and this is part of the reason why, as I mentioned before, when eternal conscious torment sort of came into the vocabulary, I thought, is that hell? I think that's actually sort of a adaptation of hell that is a very current adaptation because 
in many ways, Sam Harris is sort of voicing these deep assumptions that are in our world. And again, you can still already in Harris see the turn to phenomenology. So Sam Harris actually says the word miracle. Ultimately, scientifically, that is still a miracle. And that is akin to the miracle that there is something rather than nothing in the universe. And again, he knows this because it's consciousness. Again, this is just ripped right out of Descartes. The one thing about Descartes that almost everybody knows, that's his starting point. And Peterson sort of tags him on this Cartesian aspect of this and says, you know, is, is that is that really it? You saw the way in which Peterson was dealing with him. And then again, he talks about the miracle of consciousness. And well, you know, can't really account for it, but here it is. And and right out of that, you're going to get value. So, but that but there it's the you've got this difficult problem that, okay, now that you've got consciousness, you've got the the possibility of suffering and the possibility of making others suffer. You have the possibility also of goodness and reward and pleasure and all of those things that he talked about being upper reaches. But um, why why is consciousness good? Consciousness can be good, but it isn't necessarily good. So then, of course, you can get into meditation because meditation is basically the tool by which you explore this godlike thing of consciousness. I'm going to talk about panpsychism a little bit. And then he's going to talk about using sort of this, it's kind of a self-transcendence where, well, once you once you believe that you once you believe that, well, there's no individual that's suffering, then you can transcend your suffering. And and what's interesting is that I, I don't know why this didn't this didn't play into either the jihadi or Joseph Stalin scenario for dealing with evil because the way that you can get rid of evil is that therefore get rid of um, uh, locales of consciousness that suffer. And once he goes there, then things sort of get weird because he starts comparing Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, with the 9-11 attacks again. Um, you know, Hurricane Katrina was so stark and, you know, People, similar numbers of people died from both. On both occasions, uh, we knew that the origins of those harms were so different. In the case of 9-11, um, it was a diabolical evil death cult. Again, you heard him say that in the other way. Well, if suffering is suffering, should that really matter? Which is, a, again, sort of a funny thing in this because... Now, we all understand that because we sort of understand that, well, if you're going to if you're going to do brain surgery on Joseph Stalin, why don't you do why don't you do chemicals in the atmosphere to prevent the hurricane or something like that? And and because of this because of this then okay, so what are people and consciousness and and we if we meditate, we learn that there's no self and then he begins to go into this whole, this whole line of thought. The question is, um, you know, I'm not saying we have to go back into Afghanistan as that bad war turned bad as that war turned out to be. The question is, does it make any sense to hate people ever? And, and again, I, it's just like I, I, I watched him sit on that couch in the video with Eric Weinstein, and it's like, kill them, kill them all. But does it make any sense to hate people? Oh, okay, so like. 
like Joseph Stalin, they're all a bunch of, well, how did, how did all of their brains get this way? Well, that's that, that's that brain invading thing of religion because of the bad ideas they have rattling around in their brains and because of, um, because of the other variables that have caused them to be the way that they are. Effectively, like grizzly bears or hurricanes, there's no reasoning with them. Oh, it's like I'm under no illusion that we could sit down with Hamas and have a good long conversation and finally converge with them ethically. So, in other words, you know, first we had this scenario about doing brain surgery on Joseph Stalin. Now we're looking at Hamas, and because we can't sort of gain custody of them to do this brain surgery on them, um, um, what what can we do? I mean, it's like reasoning with a hurricane or a grizzly bear. I mean, those are, that's what he said. I don't think we're going to reason with these people, certainly not over any timeline that is relevant to us geopolitically. So as I've said, we just have to kill a lot of jihadis, right? That's, that's what he says. <laughs> we don't have to hate jihadis. And this is where it gets really cold. And this is where the Nazi prison guard gets really interesting because... So, okay, let's round up all the jihadis and put them in a concentration camp. And let's tell all of the let's tell all of their jailers, now you're not to hate the 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 prison, you're not to hate the jihadis just like you shouldn't hate a hurricane or a grizzly bear. They're just you know, so maybe maybe we'll take them in and do brain surgery on them to see if we can fix them. What 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 scientific regime did experimental surgeries on the substandard humans that they collected, who they believed were contaminating the world? I mean, the view is that they're malfunctioning and they're very unlucky people. They're unlucky to have been infected. Would the contagious ideas that have been found so captivating, they had the wrong culture, the wrong parents, the wrong genes, whatever, conspired to make them the way they are? They are effectively grizzly bears, right? And if grizzly bears were rampaging in the middle of our cities, we would tranquilize them. Um, we would capture them safely and put them somewhere safe. We would kill them, right? And because they are, there are all the harm because of all the harm they're causing. And he talks about the fact that, well, but the death penalty is so difficult. So basically, it's Guantanamo that we're that we're looking at here. And then he goes back into the fact that, well, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, and you know, it's a fair point. It, it was people who had participated in the Western system that took down the trade centers, that did ISIS. And so, again, he's got his problem of, well, he can't deal with spirits because he doesn't believe in them. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to combat these ideas with rationality, but people have defective brains. So, and, and so we're right there between these two ideas. 
again, this is in the Daily Wire section, so I can't play you the video, but I bet you if you go through his catalog, you'll find him saying similar things in many other ways. Now, yes, it's true that in the perfect circumstance, if you got these people, you know, with an abundance of time, you might be able to deprogram them and get them to regret all of the suffering. We'll do whatever we can, but the reality is the emergency we face in open societies and we have faced for you and, you know, the waxing and wanings of the last two decades, we have to just kill jihadis, right? And, and this, and I, and we, I mean. <laughs> All of this time on this video, in some ways, to say what I basically put in my tweet. And I'll read it again. In the end, the Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris, Daily Wire, again, the juicy stuff was in the last hour behind the paywall, can be summed up. Remember, disembody, there is no agency. Sam wants what's best for you. And if you're on his naughty list... It either means a re-education prison camp, because evil is a disease of the brain, sometimes mysteriously transmitted through religion, or annihilation through the military, if you are not conveniently available for a straitjacket. The rest of you get meditation apps, because one day Soma will be invented and lovingly administered so that all of us will have eternal conscious blissfulness. Sam blissfully will not be reading this app or probably listening to this video. Because even if he went and he saw it, it was about him and it was so darn long, he would very quickly lose interest, which I don't blame him. Will not be reading this tweet because he's already retreated to his audience-captured fortress of solitude to no longer be disturbed by religious grizzly bears like myself. And then many of people will say, why pay any attention to Sam Harris? Because a certain spirit of the liberal age was born this week in the voice of Sam Harris. He so perfectly embodies one of the spirits that rules this age and so perfectly and shamelessly articulates that voice out loud. So if you made it all the way to the end of the video, we could have just read the tweet. Sorry to tell you. Why walk through it? I don't know. But. I, I Often at the end of a video, I will change my mind. I've looked at this guy plenty, and I don't change my mind. <laughs> this is what the guy says. I think, it's a, I think it's a defective worldview. I think it's a bad ethic. I think it's incoherent. And, well, you know, he's happily doing his meditation app with his captured audience fine. But when he emerges because something happens and it makes him angry, these are the things he says. And the future of it, again, pulling out the Nazi prison guard thing, it's like, and to me, that's part of the difficulty of evil. Again, I, I'll, I'll recommend Neil Plantinga's book on on evil because the funny thing about evil is it is not so easily escapable. It is not so easily separable from us, from good people. Solzhenitsyn, of course, said it runs through every human heart. And it's not going to be removed by brain surgery or re-education camps. It is far more subtle. And so often, the, and I guess this is probably the heart of it, 
So often we do it when we're trying to do good. And so if you follow his vision of hurricanes and grizzly bears, you wind up with fundamentally a Nazi camp. And that's part of the mystery of evil. And that's why we ought to be so careful with it and so humble because it gets us. And it gets us so often when we think we're doing our best. Go back to the little scenario of me coming home and not being a very good husband to my wife. It gets me because all along the way I'm thinking she shouldn't have said that, she shouldn't have done that, I'm going to teach her, blah, 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 blah. No, no. Am I holding her accountable? Probably not. Back, back to the church scenario. Are they doing wrong? Probably. Tell them to stop. Will they listen? Is that actually the most effective way to address the evil? And this is why I'm a Christian. Because I think Jesus on the cross had a better way. Well, you're going to need more details of that. Listen to like all my sermons. <laughs> They're all about the same thing. Listen to Tim Keller's sermons, a better preacher than I am. That's why Sam Harris drives me crazy. There you go. Leave a comment. Let me have it.